0: Mr. Christopher with the Funkatopia Radio Show. And, you know, as you know, what we do here is we support all types of music, funk, R&B, and soul, and hip-hop. And it is my honor to... Welcome a very good friend of mine that I actually had an opportunity to interview, gosh, years ago, but I haven't. I, we just lost contact, and it's such an amazing opportunity to have him back on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Speech from Arrested Development. What's going on, brother? Thank you so much for having me,
1: man. I'm doing great. I'm doing really good. Good to talk to you.
0: Yeah, I you know, I heard you're going to be kind of going here there and everywhere and I'm I'm glad we were able to kind of, you know, take some time and 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 get an opportunity to to catch up and you're supposed to be going overseas next week. What what's what's going on with your schedule? What's what's happening over there? I'm performing
1: with a 50-piece orchestra um to do Motown classics. So I'm going to perform with Jermaine Jackson, Shanice, um and Chicago the Kid and um, myself, and like I've said, a 50-piece orchestra. It's going to be right outside of Osaka, and um, so I'm going to be going to Japan.
0: Man, that's incredible. So, And I know that whenever I see pictures, whenever you post pictures, when you guys go over there, especially as a group, is it just you, or are you bringing the whole group? I'm doing this by
1: myself. This is just um, me as a solo artist.
0: And I know that when you go over there, I mean, the <laughs> the country just explodes. I mean, it seems like every single time that you go over there, you're, you're, you're treated like royalty over there. And, you know, can you tell me a little bit about, you know, how that got established as far as, you know, their fanaticism for you guys over there?
1: I'm so grateful to Japan. We went over there in 1994 as a rest of development, and it was our first time. It was a packed um, number of shows and it was incredible, a lot, a lot of just excited fans. And then uh, we came back you know, to the States, and I hadn't really been to Japan for quite a while, and then I started releasing solo albums, and the group had broken up at that point. In 96, I released my first solo album, and it wasn't doing well anywhere, and I was going through the Billboard magazine looking for where my song was charting, and it was way at the bottom of all the charts, and I went to the Japanese charts, and I was looking at the bottom, and I'm like, Where's where's the song? Gosh, it's not even on the charts. So then just for the heck of it, I went to the top of the charts, and there I was, the first, the number one song in Japan. So I called my manager immediately and said, I haven't been there since 94. we got to go back to Japan as a solo artist. And that I needed it. I needed that boost from the Japanese people. If you've ever been to Japan, they're the most nice, smiling, good energy, um, incredible people that you'll ever want to meet. And I got off the plane, and there was hundreds of fans with hearts and gifts and bags of gifts in them and just waiting for me to get off the plane. And I needed that because my career was really dying of fast death in the United States. So I really wanted that, and I was really grateful. And from that point on, I started doing albums in Japan only a lot of times, where I would release music solely in Japan, and I've had a great time in Japan ever since.
0: So so you get to your hotel when you're doing that tour and you've you've got like armful full uh, armsful of bags and gifts that they've given you and are, are you are you going through these bags at one point and you're what's the strangest thing that you pulled out of a bag and you're like,
1: What is this? Well, they're into kid toys. So there was a lot of little teddy bears and little like cartoon character toys and a lot of handwritten and hand drawn artwork and stuff like that, which is all, like, to me means even more than any gift if they would have bought it from a store. So I just really was deeply, deeply encouraged. And, you know, like I said, it became like a second home to me. I never lived in Japan, but I would go there at least two to three times a year. And I've been going there ever since. I mean, that's been now Gosh, 1996 to now, so whatever that is, I don't know, 24 years or so,
0: 23 years. So if you walk around the streets of Japan, do people recognize you on the streets?
1: Not as much as they used to back in the 90s and the early 2000s. But Japan is a very packed place, so I mean a lot of people. But if I go into the right areas, yes, of course, they still know me and they still, you know, are excited to meet. In fact, Japanese people by nature... Are just really excited fans. They just they they might cry. They might you know tear up because of they're just they can't hold their excitement.
0: That's pretty uh, yeah. That is. Uh, I think that kind of as a musician as a performer myself. You know, when I was doing it. You know, to have that kind of element where people are just really into what you were doing. Is just, I mean, there's nothing that can compete with that. It's just—it's
1: nothing. I mean, this is what you live for as an artist. I mean, you love this. I love this. It's—it's it's everything for me. And so, I really, really give them a huge kiss and a great hug, even now as I speak to those in Japan and throughout Asia, but especially Japan.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's—it's it's tough to get that kind of response in the states nowadays. It's imp- everybody's just so jaded here. It's—it's it's a very—it's. It's tough. I mean, do you find that there's like certain places that you can play or certain events or or things that you can go to that you can get, you know, a a better reaction than in in some of the other scenarios? And what kind of situations do you put yourself into? Would you prefer to play with a bunch of other hip hop artists or would you prefer to play in something that's a little bit more of like a cultural event? What is your sweet spot?
1: Well, our sweet spot is always outdoor festivals. We love festivals. Our music resonates with festivals. And so it could be folk festivals, jazz, funk, reggae, or hip-hop, or rock festivals. So it doesn't really matter what kind of music. And one of our sweet places to perform in the states is Denver, and I don't know why, but Denver, Colorado, supports us more than any other state. And we have great shows everywhere we go, so I won't say that it's, like, bad everywhere else, but Timber stands above even the other great shows that we tend to have.
0: Well, you know, weed is legal there, so they're a lot more laid back and receptive <laughs> to a go. lot. <laughs> <of> yes, <laughs> that's right. That's right.
1: Yeah, I think that might have a lot to do with it, actually.
0: it's you can you can lay back and relax and kind of just take things in to another level that most people just don't. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and the rest of the development's music is better listened to high anyway. So I agree. (laughs) That's
0: probably it. Now, as you know, Funkatopia has a huge Prince base, and I know you've got Prince stories. I mean, a a lot of people have already heard the story uh, about the song Tennessee and how you used Prince's uh, clip from the Love Sexy song Tennessee, and, and it's all throughout that. And, you know, I guess for people who may have not have heard that story, can you give a little bit of background of, of how you were approached by Prince's Camp regarding that issue? And also, if you have any Prince stories to share, I, I, I'm sure that everybody would love to hear them.
1: Well, I, I got a lot of them, but I can share one um, or even two. One is the song, Tennessee. I sampled the word Tennessee from Alphabet Street. Um I'm uh, going to put her on the back seat to drive her uh, to Tennessee. So I use that. That's throughout the song, Tennessee. And that was obviously back in 90, 1990, I think. Mm-hmm. And I was excited about that song. The song means everything to me. And um, it started going up the charts. And I didn't hear anything from Prince or anybody else. And it got to number three on the pop charts. It was number one on a few other charts, the hip-hop and R&B charts. And as soon as it went to number four on the pop charts, I got a call from Prince's people. And they were saying that, hey, you know, you use this Prince sample, and he wants $100,000 for it. And I was blown away because literally it's one word. It's not a melody. It's not, you know, so at that time, I was like, oh, my gosh. So we paid the money to him. And I learned later that it was really a good thing that he didn't pull the songs um, the song off the album and he didn't pull it off the shelves from the stores and I realized that he really did us a favor by not even taking writing credits for the song which he could have done. There's another song that's on our first album called Children Play With Earth that initially used the sample of Play in the Sunshine from the um, Sign of the Times album mm-hmm. and you, it, it originally had that sample in it and we tried to clear it through Prince and he simply said if you... Touch that song, I want 50% of the record um, of, the, of that song. Oh, and geez. it was only playing in a very small part, so we ended up just taking it out before the record pressed. We were actually done with the version, with the sample in it, and then we went back in the studio, recalled all the settings of the song, and had the engineer take that sample out, and then repress, uh, go ahead and press the record. So that was another print story. And then one other one was I'm a huge Prince fan, so we were supposed to meet up numerous times. I went to Paisley Park to meet with them. He didn't show his face, but he was at the park. He was he was at the rehearsal studio with his band. but he never showed his face. So another time I was out, um well actually a friend of mine, Victor Wooten, to meet one of the best players, uh, bass players on the planet Earth. Yeah, great friend of mine. Uh, Victor knows how much I love Prince, so he called me and he said, "Speech, guess who I'm going on uh going to do some shows with? And I said, Who? He said, Prince. And he said, Would you like to go? I was like, Would I like to go? First of all, I would pay you to go to Rockwood Prince. So, um and so that's exactly well, he actually ended up paying me, but I, I, I became his DJ, which I used to be a DJ, so I knew how to do that. And uh he paid me to be his DJ for this particular tour. We ended up touring for really? about three months.
0: I didn't know and
1: that. We played Paisley Park for sort of like a birthday celebration. I mean, Prince didn't really celebrate his birthday, but he had a week-long celebration at Paisley Park, and every night was a different theme. And we rocked, I think, either on a Tuesday or Wednesday night. And prior to us was um, uh, come away with me. I forget her name. Nora Uh, Jones. Nora Jones, and then uh, Sheila E. was the next night, I think, and then we were the next night. And every night that whoever opened up for Prince, he would play a set that sort of had the same type of vibe as whoever opened up. So the Nora Jones, he did a lot of jazz standards, you know, stand up bass, really nice Rhodes keyboards. I mean, he didn't do a lot of his regular tunes. He would do stuff like Ballad of Dorothy Parker or, yeah. you know, yeah. um, really nice jazz, like strolling from one of his albums or stuff like that. So he would do some really nice jazzy stuff. And then with the Shirley E night, because um, we were there multiple nights, but we weren't performing multiple nights. We only performed one of those nights, but we were there just to enjoy it. And so he, for Sheila, e, when she opened up, he did a very Latin heavy set and a lot of percussion for his set. And she played with him, his set as well. And then when we rocked our set, it was funk heavy, real funk heavy. So I mean, if you if you're familiar with Victor Wooten, literally one of the best bassists in the, on the planet. And so. Just funky, a lot of slap bass. And of course, then he brought out uh, Larry Graham and, and the rest of them, and he had a really great funk set that night. So, I mean, it was just amazing. Music Soul Child, I think, was the next night. So, just a real deal soul type of set from him. So, it was just, you know, great stories. And, that was my first time, me and Prince actually being able to meet one another and shake hands. He saw me when I went to Paisley Park uh, the other time, and he watched the rest of the development when we played uh, Glam Slam in uh, Minneapolis years ago. We played Glam Slam in ninety, I don't know, maybe ninety two or three. So yeah, we've we've been around Prince a lot of times, but that was my first time meeting him.
0: Yeah, he's he's an interesting cat. You know, I I didn't get an opportunity to meet him until two thousand. Two, I want to say it was the one night alone tour. And okay. you know I, I had always, you know, held him in such high reverence. You know, he's just this larger than life human being. And, you know, I've always heard, I, I told this story many times before. It's like, you always hear how diminutive he is and how, you know, how he's just like a short guy. And you, yes, it, you don't, you don't, it doesn't process until you're actually right in front of him it's very yeah, he's, it's
1: he's like, shorter than I wow,
0: am and I'm a yeah. short guy. Yeah. I was just like, yeah. you know, cause he comes around the corner and you're like, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's, you know, not let that part shock you. You're still in front of the legend. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's just, it's, yeah. it's, it's it's just so hard to process, but you did get an opportunity to meet him and actually chat and talk with him a little bit.
1: We did. We talked and he was, he was a great, gracious guy. Him and his wife were there. Um, and it was just a really, really cool conversation. We talked a lot about Tennessee, for instance. We talked about you know my career and the music that I'm doing, and we talked about his and It was great,
0: yeah, did he have any type of compliments as far do Do you re- think that he was really? Uh, paying attention to what you got, I know he was paying attention to what you guys Definitely. were doing. You, you, you wouldn't have been playing in Paisley Park if he wasn't familiar with your material. But did he ever make notation about anything specific that you guys had done that he was a fan of?
1: No, he didn't. He didn't say anything specific. I know he was a fan though because he had asked to meet me. This is a whole other story. He had asked to meet me right after the Arrest Development music, and I couldn't because I was mastering um, another album, and I was literally at the mastering studio doing each song, and it was a deadline. But I don't think he liked that too much. So I think that's probably why he didn't show. Uh, like he didn't come out of the shadows when i went to paisley park the next time so i don't know i I, i've learned now that like when he summons you you're supposed to just drop everything and go but i didn't i don't think that way with any human being. so it's like i I wasn't in that frame of mind so my mindset was not to finish this album but i'll definitely hook up with you you know another time and, and that wasn't I don't think he liked that too much.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I read somewhere that you guys went there and you found out later that he was watching you guys in, from a
1: two-way mirror or something. <laughs> he was watching us from a two-way mirror. Well, watch it So me and me and uh, a bass player, another bass player named Foley, he played with Miles Davis, fantastic uh, jazz and funk player, and Foley and I, uh, Foley played with the rest of the development, so um, we went over there, me and Foley, and he literally stood behind a, a two way mirror or one way mirror and just watched me hang out with his band. But he said he was going to be there to, to hang with us, and um, he never came out, which is just one of the many things that you know, the mysteriousness of Prince. He was a very interesting dude.
0: Yeah, he's he's kind of got that uh. He's got to got that vibe but I miss him greatly man. It's such a
1: Oh my god, to say the least. I mean Prince literally is my favorite artist of all time. Yeah, all same. Time. Here. So yeah, I love him. I love him. Yeah, it love was him. it
0: was when I heard his was passing, I I literally could not breathe for what felt like a full minute. I mean I really just just everything spiritually and in, in my soul was just like crushed. For that moment, I just, which is so weird because it's not like somebody I was really personally involved with and, and see every single day and, you know, had conversations with and things like that. I mean, so it wasn't like, but, you know, he, I've been a fan since 1982 and, and have followed everything that he did and loved him from afar for so long and everything that he is, his music had done for me was just, I mean... Even though he wasn't physically there, I mean, he pulled me through some really, really dark times. And so I, I kind of felt like it really was even closer than a family member, because this is somebody that's emotionally and psychologically attached to you spiritually. And it's just, it's, it's, it's it was tough. It would really rip, ripping me apart.
1: Well, the night that, uh, the day that he died, my wife knows how much I love him. And she heard about it first. I didn't hear about it. She told me, but the way she told me was as if a close family member died. And she said, you know, honey, I have something I need to tell you. And she told me, and I was driving. I was on the expressway here in Atlanta. And she told me, and I just froze in my heart. Like you, I just, I literally did tear up. And I thought it was a joke. Meaning not a joke, but like a hoax, you know, how sometimes there's rumors that someone died and they actually didn't die. So I thought and I was hoping in my heart that that's what the case was. So I went to Twitter and ironically, there was nothing on Twitter. There was no trending topic. So then I had a little bit of hope that maybe this isn't really actually real, because I know if Prince died, everyone would be talking about it. And it only took about another hour or so before it was indeed a trending topic, and it was real, and every news channel and all of that started covering it, and I was just just destroyed. I mean, and and similar to you, I've only met him a few times. We've had a number of run-ins in numerous ways. A lot of the people that worked for him worked for me and vice versa. So I had run-ins with him and six degrees of separation with him, but the music was not six degrees of separation for me. It was right near and dear to my heart. And like you, it had gotten me... I don't even know if it got me through tough times, more so than it it helped me with my identity and who I wanted to be and what inspired me about life many times um, made itself clear through his music and through the visuals and the things that he would do. That's what I felt was important about life as well. And so there was this joy of life, this joy of music the joy of artistry that prince encapsulated perfectly to me and that's and he still always will and i don't think there'll be anyone that will come close for quite a while
0: yeah i i, I can't i can't imagine anybody honestly taking his place i, I can't even it's just it's legendary it's legendary, it can be and the music exactly. industry is a totally different beast now. It's not; it's just not we're even the same. Different. Yeah, I can't. It's not even close. Yeah, I can't. I can't even process. It. And I think this is kind of an interesting question for you to kind of segue into. You know, what, some of the things I want to talk about with you was, you know, Arrested Development was there for the age of vinyl. I mean, you kind of came on the. You know, we weren't. You, I were doing things in the seventies and and early eighties you know, when that was the sweet spot to really kind of be in, but you were still doing the vinyl pressings and, you know, when it was kind of creeping its way out and you kind of moved to the CDs and, you know, obviously the MP3s and things like that. How do you feel like it, it, do you feel it's easier to reach a wider audience now or is it still just as difficult as, as it was back then in regards to, you know, how people absorb music nowadays?
1: I think it's worse now because there's so much music and so much data that most people aren't discovering a lot of the new artists that are out there. And and in order to be discovered in a lot of the playlists that exist on various streaming services, you have to fit in. And that's to me what I miss about some of the other eras that I've been able to enjoy in music. Being original was your calling card at one point. And now, in order to make a lot of these discovery playlists, you really should sound like everybody else. And that's what will give you a better chance of being discovered. So I don't like that. And I also miss the days of local people like yourself and myself and others who are music activists. They they listen to music and they loved it so much that they personally would try to make sure that their cities were hip to this artist. And that's what I miss. I don't think that that happens nearly as much today as it used to. I used to be able to go into a record store and a person in that store, they're always with somebody in that store that was truly passionate. And they would tell you about the new stuff that you got to hear and check this out and play a little bit for you. Whereas now a lot of this stuff is algorithms and computer driven. And, you know, it's, it's a lot different and it doesn't have that same human feel. So no, I, I, I definitely think it's, um, uh, uh, a less exciting landscape for music discovery right now. I'm not saying the music itself today is bad. I'm just saying the ways to get discovered, I think, are not nearly as amazing as it used to be.
0: Yeah, I think it's almost a little overwhelming, too. Like, I use Spotify you know, to discover a lot of new artists, and, and they have this feature. A lot of people don't use it because sometimes if you listen to way too much styles of music, it it, it kind of gets muddied, but they have a little discover weekly section where they kind of just like you say, they use these algorithms to okay, well you listen to Kendrick Lamar and I see you listen exactly. to Ressa, you listen to all this. So we're gonna throw you a, a bunch of different things that are kind of similar to that. And surprisingly exactly. enough, this algorithm is actually pretty, pretty good. So like a good I mean it, it's gotten a lot better over the years and, and now about 60% of what they show me it's like I've either heard it before and I do like it, or they're artists that really you know have sparked my interest, but that's kind of how how my how in the world every single week you're giving me twelve new bands that now I've gotta you know like and and check out and I, I just it's it's overwhelming, just like you say there's just so much music that's going out there it's just it's just it so is much. so
1: much and also for me, it's too much to be able to truly dive deep in. I mean, in my opinion, it's it's hard to do a deep dive when you're getting, like you said, 12 new groups that all of them are incredible. But also for me, and this is just how I am, I, it's even when I watch Netflix or something, I actually don't always want to watch more of the same. Sometimes I like diversity and I like things to be different and I like to discover things that I never would have looked at. And so I I. I wish that the algorithms or really I just wish it was human beings that were able to, you know, just suggest new and incredible music. That's that's me though.
0: Yeah, I, I love discovering new music, but it's just it's just too much. I mean, I, I'm still love to go out and see bands that I haven't seen in a long time. You know, if I you know, see it's just, it's just so much. There's so many bands that are out there. It's just unreal, unreal. But what is um what is arrested development up to nowadays?
1: We have new music um, that's on our website right now that I'm sure most of your listeners have not heard of, and it's fantastic. It's an EP called Craft and Optics, and I'm really in love with this music. I think it's brilliantly done, and I'm proud of us for doing it. I think it's a really good, refreshing change for music right now, and especially hip-hop. So we're doing that. Our website is the band dot com or rest of development music dot com and um and then so we're also touring and doing a lot of shows and so that's what the rest of development is doing i have another group that i'm forming called the vagabond family and it's not a set group it's almost like a sound system from jamaica where basically i'm sort of the hub of it and i have a lot of new artists all of them under 35 that I've collaborated with, and it's it's really fresh, it's exciting, and it excites me because there's a lot of youthful energy on this record, and I'm excited about it. So it's called The Vagabond Family, and um, the album is called um, Expansion. So we're about to drop that in early 2020.
0: Yeah, with as in-depth as you are, and you and I have crossed paths many times before. You know, I i had mentioned the last time I actually got to hang out with you uh, was years ago when you were opening up for Public Enemy at, uh, I guess, I don't know, what's that place in Stone Mountain? I think it's called The Forum or something. I forget. It's like The Forum or something like that. Anyways, but yeah, so it was like it was poorly marketed and nobody knew that they were there. And so it's like literally you guys in public enemy playing to about like four dozen people at best in this pretty, you know, it's a sizable club. So it just, it, yeah, people, it, was. it, it was a great show, but people just didn't even know it was happening there. And so the, like no marketing was done. Nothing was, it was just, it, it, that was, it was just one of those scenarios where it was just really, really a bad situation, but we've actually um, crossed paths before. I mean, I've seen you show up at funk jazz cafe a couple times. And, yeah. and it's cause I mean, I love, love that kind of things like that, but with as many contacts as you have, and as many musical artists and styles and genres that you actually touched, I'm actually surprised that you don't do something like a soul type of setup where you just have this family of artists that you just kind of latch onto and just, you know, just kind of create like, a. a, I mean, it worked for, it worked for them. It worked for Odd Future and, and all that. And it worked. I mean, I could see you doing something in a very, very similar vein where it's just a bunch of groups that are very like-minded and play similar styles of music and each one accentuates the other. And it's just like this conglomerate of sorts. And I could easily see you putting something together like that. And I, I would, I would kill to be involved in like a festival like that, where you could just go and just know that every single band that's going to get on that stage is going to kill it no matter what, because if they're involved with this that. particular conglomerate, you know that it's a good thing. And I could absolutely yeah. see you doing that for sure.
1: Well, this is what that is. I agree with you. I'm, I'm there with you. And it's funny dude, because before rest of development, I used to have a crew called the fresh walking family and it was a bunch of hip hop groups. It was like, the native tongues, you know, like tribal right. quest and Bayla and all that. Yep. And it was like that. And it was very successful on uh, a local tip. This was before Russia Development Epic off. And so I hadn't had a chance to do that the way I wanted to. And this is that chance. So the Vagabond family is is like that. And I, I agree with you. I love and it's my dream to do a festival. So that's something I've always wanted to do. And so maybe this is the beginning of that.
0: Yeah, well, definitely make sure that I'm involved. I'm I'm here in Atlanta with you, so let's yeah definitely connect. Yeah, definitely connect. Uh, Yeah. So, I but I one of the reasons, the primary reason I wanted to talk to you tonight, and I want to kind of be respectful of your time, and I love that you're hanging out for as long as you are, is that I just received this uh, a, a. promo copy of a project that you're doing called 16 bars. And I guess it's going to be, it's only like a couple weeks out from being released. I think it comes out. I think the video comes out November 8th, but I think this CD actually drops, uh, I guess on the 14th, tell people about what this project is about, because this is really intriguing and it's just a really cool, uh, just tell people a little bit about what 16 bars is.
1: I went into a jail in Richmond, Virginia, and I stayed at this jail for 10 days. And I had a film crew film me in there writing music with inmates. And it is one of the most life-changing experiences of, of my entire career. And we really cover four men whose lives you won't believe. It's just so riveting, so compelling. There's a country singer, um, two hip- well, really three hip-hop, um, artist and it's called 16 Bars and it's a play on words they're behind bars in this makeshift recording studio and they're just venting and expressing and you get to see their stories behind the scenes and what they sing about and rap about in the in the prison or the jail so it's a very riveting story and I definitely encourage everybody to go to my website brotherspeech.com Click on 16 Bar, the link, which is on my website, and check it out. incredible. So was there
0: like a vetting process? Did they kind of say, all right, here's here's what we're going to be doing. They tell the inmates this is what we're going to be doing, and they just kind of vet out people that they think are a good fit? Or were you involved in that process? How exactly do you decide who does what?
1: It was an amazing vetting process where we had – People in the the, the jail had to, number one, be on good behavior to even be considered for this project. And then those that were considered for the project, we had the people that really were guards and the sheriff and others that knew these inmates better than we did, and we had them pick the best of the best, and then we started looking at their tapes. Before I even went to the jail, I looked at tapes of them doing whatever they did, whether it's playing guitar or singing or rapping or whatever, and we sort of picked from there. But we didn't just pick those that were talented, although these men are extremely talented, but we also wanted to understand their story. So we had to sort of do an interview to understand why they were there, what their whole existence was about being there and what brought them there. And it's so funny because when we asked the question, why are you there? Not one of them talked about the crimes they committed. They were talking about their life story. And that's what I think is so compelling about this. It wasn't just about the crimes they committed. It was about what brought them to this point.
0: And what type of, for instance, you said there was like four different artists. What are some of the, what are some of the crimes that these gentlemen committed?
1: Grand larceny. Um, um, One of them robbed a bank. One of them, uh, most of them were addicted to drugs, which actually led to the crimes that they committed. Um, Possession of an illegal firearm. so on and so forth. So yeah, those were some of the crimes. So when you're when you're
0: doing this and you're involved in this, and you said there was a makeshift studio, do you have other instrumentalists with you, or is it some of the some of the actual inmates that are playing some of the instruments, or 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 is it pretty much just computer based that type of uh, arrangement?
1: Very small computer based. We had percussion uh, that we had donated. None of this came from taxpayer dollars. So we had. Percussion donated. We donated Pro Tools. Um, We had mics donated, uh, little eggshells and and padding for the studio donated. We had um, one of the inmates, his name is um, Garland. He was a guitar player, and so he played guitar. And then we had some programs, uh, you know, basically your average uh, DAWs that enabled us to create music right there in the laptop.
0: That's pretty awesome. So, how, and you said that this whole entire recording process took place over 10 days?
1: The recording process of the music with them took 10 days. Then, after we left the jail, I went with choirs and, you know, strings and other instruments, guitarists, bassists, keys, all types of things to really develop the songs into what they are now and yes the, the, the movie comes out November 8th so we really want people to support it um, you can go to brotherspeech.com brother and click on 16 bars and you can support it you'll know all of the schedules and everything that that, um, uh, that you can go see it at
0: yeah, this is, it's a pretty awesome project and, and uh, I was actually you, yeah, it's, it's a really cool like, who, how did you come up with this idea
1: My manager did. He saw a special on CNN with Lisa Ling where it was a daddy-daughter dance at this exact same jail. And I saw it, too. We started talking, and he said, Steve, this is something that you would want to do. And I was like, of course, I do. And so we started talking to them. It took about two years to work the red tape of it all. You know, when someone is in jail, they don't have the right to make money while they're being taken care of by the state or while they're being punished by the state, corrected, or whatever they want to call it. So it's very interesting, you know, trying to work out how to do things and make sure that they got the proceeds, because I didn't want to do it to make money, per se. Um, I really wanted to do it to give them a voice and at the same time see if we can find a way to get them some income so that they can overcome some of the obstacles that they were facing.
0: All right. So so
1: the inmates
0: will actually see some of the proceeds from this CD. Is this after they they get out of out of jail? Because obviously, as you said, it's kind of obviously a little bit of a conflict of interest with them
1: actually you exactly. know, with the state scenario. Yeah. So the answer is yes. Some of them have already been able to see some money that they didn't touch personally, but family members and, and people that are involved in their lives have been able to see something which is great and yeah they'll continue to for the rest of their lives as long as this album exists they will be able to benefit from it which is what we wanted. So this this
0: jail is definitely pretty interesting because you you said they he had seen a special your manager has seen a special where daddy daughter dance had done this and then they did this project as well. Why do you think it is? Is it you think it's resources more than anything else that more jails aren't involved in like an active rehabilitative process like this. I mean, this jail seems like it's kind of going above and beyond to, to try to rehabilitate these people as opposed to, you know, what most jails are, which is pretty much a, a process of they're in, they're out, they're back in again, they're out. So uh, yeah. what, what's different here?
1: Well, it's really perception from us in the public about prisoners and people that are in jail. And it's politics. So it's a very big political baseball game going back and forth or a volleyball game going back and forth between do you try to rehabilitate these men and women or do you want to strictly punish them? If you want to rehabilitate them, then those that lean towards that treatment, they don't mind having programs that will help them to uh, focus their aggressions, to learn a new trade, learn skills, learn creativity, so on and so forth. But people that want to only punish, then they're looking at, hey, bread and water, their necessities. We don't want to treat them, you know, in any way that might give people, you know, incentive to go back to jail. And 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 the thing that most people have to understand is that ninety-five percent of the people that go to jail and prison will be coming back out at some point. They'll come back into our neighborhood, your neighborhood and mine. So what kind of person do we want to come back to our neighborhood? And that's really the question that I, I pose to people. I think when people look at it that way, then it's like, yeah, we, I, I want them to be better. So, you know, having programs that help them to focus and and get better is, is always the key. Well,
0: I really appreciate that you kind of did this project. And, and as as you said, if anybody out there wants more information on this uh, CD, this this CD is available for uh, purchase and actually download was it November? I'm trying to think what the date is on that. You said the November eighth. Video- no- oh, the, I thought there was two separate days. So it's November eighth is also. Oh yeah. So you can't get the vine You can get it on vinyl. You can also download exactly. it digitally. All November eighth. And uh, there's also going to be
1: can- a film. I'm sorry. I was good- going to say people can pre-order it as well right now.
0: Oh, that's, that's fantastic. So if this is something you're interested in, uh, after we are done with this interview, I will play a track from this so you guys can check it out. Which track do you think I should uh, highlight that it really is a good
1: overall? I think um, the song Inspire, I would want people to hear. I think it's incredible.
0: Yeah, and if you're in the Los yeah. if you're in Los Angeles on November fifteenth, the film is going to be theatrically released there. Also in New York in November eighth, that's even sooner. And then there'll be some select cities here and there that it will actually premiere in. And so you can definitely keep an eye out for this. It's gonna be fantastic. Man, Yeah, I, sixteen bars. I, I love the fact that, you know, your music just, I mean, through everything that you've done here and what you've done with the rest of development and some of your solo work is just very, very focused on just the betterment of humanity and just being able to, you know, cognizantly share, you know, the humanitarian experience. And I just, I think that's one of the things that's sorely missing, man. It's always an honor to hang out with you and, and and to chat with you, man. And I thanks so much for coming on the show. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it.
1: Thank you, man. You've been a joy, and I definitely will lock you on my phone. And thank you to all the listeners. You guys, we're all like uh, lovers of Prince. I'm, I'm assuming at least everybody here loves Prince, and I, I'm I'm such a huge fan. And I feel like family with anybody that loves Prince. We gotta love each other. So I, I appreciate. It.
0: Yep, absolutely. Once again. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for hanging out with us. This has been Speech from Arrested Development. Make sure that you go to his website brotherspeech.com and find out more information on 16 bars. Obviously, if you're if you're Arrested Development fans, you can still check out what's going on with them. They got new music at adtheband.com or arresteddevelopmentmusic.com. You can also check that stuff out there and, you know, you can always listen on Spotify, but we much rather prefer that you actually go to the website and actually purchase it because they make much more money that way than 0. .0001 cent that you're going to get listening on Spotify. <laughs> Just do something else other than that. That's all we would say to help support. <laughs> Speech, I appreciate it, brother. Thank you so much for hanging out.
1: Thank you, brother.
2: I wrote this to inspire. I pray that it do. I wrote. To inspire If you tired Of the liar And the bias And the violence Gotta stand on top Of that giant Like King David And Goliath For the fellas That can't get higher since so bombing up The White House Seems like the White House Done got whiter In the air will be hold our lighters For the convicts Locked on Rikers And the lifers And that moment Is hooked on cracks Of the nerd kid diapers To the young black man Indicted Could've been a draft pick For the Vikings Got pulled over He ain't got a license Caught with some crack the scale and the rifle. Just cause I'm black in my skin, I like you When I walk past, don't jump like I'ma bite you Just trying to open up the door for you Cause I got manners, I'm a man, understand this, wife. We ain't never asked you to come to this country Took us from my own land, called us monkeys Changed our language, whipped us blooded Them place cars can't fix with no money. Time never wasted, mind elevated Raising the aiders, coulda went crazy But God your favor, your soul, nigga save it Baby, with a baby, you can still make it Child support with EBT Raise their kids on BET Stack their paychecks week to week Ain't no gunshots when they sleepin' I don't god watch over me is my day. don't pass judgment me no bill for single